So we've got a new deacon, and we're all rejoicing. But, but what exactly does that mean? What on earth is a deacon? What does a deacon do? Um, outside of the church, any ordained ministry is a mystery. If uh, our elders or deacons, if you, if you tell somebody outside the church, well, I'm an ordained elder or an ordained deacon, uh, people will not be quite sure what exactly that means. Yesterday at Presbytery, we had lunch with a young pastor there at the church plant in Manassas, and he, he told us that he was reading a book. He was sitting in a, I don't know what, Panera's or Starbucks or something like that, and he was reading a book on the, the mystery of the Trinity. And somebody saw it, and they said, oh, that's interesting. You know, what's that about? And as they got to talking about it, um, the fellow asked him, well, you know, what, what, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And he said, the guy visibly took a step back because I guess that in this day and age, saying I'm pastor is like saying I'm a leper. <laughs> and maybe it's like that for elders and deacons too, but people are not quite sure exactly what pastors or elders or deacons do. And inside the church, I trust that people have more respect for ordained ministry, a better idea. Um, but, but even for people in the church, oftentimes ordained ministry is a kind of a mystery. And it's not just them. Ordained ministry is sometimes mysterious to the people who are called to those offices. Not so much when serving together in a board of deacons or in a session of elders because you uh, look at things, you examine them, you come to conclusions, you um, plan a course of action, make a determination, carry it out. But it's in those alone times, those times that you think, what should, I, what should I be doing as a deacon? What should I be doing as an elder? What should I be doing as a pastor? And often the ministry can be mysterious. So today I hope to help you move toward solving the mystery. Now, note that I didn't say solve it. I said move it, move you toward solving it because I haven't been able to solve it for myself. But I can point you in the direction. I can tell you the direction to go to solve it. And I want to begin today by reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 8 through 16. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. The deacon must be the husband, but one wife must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit 
was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And Father, uh, today may the words of my lips and the meditation of Craig's heart and all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus we pray, amen. So where should we start in trying to solve this mystery of ordained ministry? Well, I think that where everything, where everyone tends to start is by asking the question, um, what do I do? What's the, what's the job description? It's not unreasonable. Uh, certainly uh, deacons and elders and pastors have tasks that they carry out. And the word for deacon uh, and the word for serve or service in the New Testament come from the same root. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, did things. He taught, he preached, he healed, he provided for those in need. And so we want to know, what's the job description? Well, if you open the Book of Church Order of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, um, it will provide one. There's a job description of what pastors do and what elders do and what deacons do. But, you know, Craig, as you know from your work life, your job description may more or less resemble the things that you actually do. was talking, and we went to Presbytery yesterday with, uh, with Doug Sane, and I asked him, you know, how do you like your new job? And he said, well, it's different than the job description, right? And that happens sometimes. And, and sometimes people will take their job description, you know, maybe it's happened to you or people that you know, that if it's, if, if it's too different, they'll say, hey, this is not in my job description. I'm not going to do that. This is not my job. Um, Craig, I can tell you after 33 years of pastoral ministry in two churches, um, I've often had to do things that are not in the job description. A common word for Christ's servants in the New Testament is the word doulos. We sanitize that by translating it servant. Bondservant is better. But the word really means slave. And slaves don't have rights. Slaves don't get to say to their master, hey, this isn't my job. And so you may well find yourself doing things that were never anticipated by the book of church orders, job description, because the Holy Spirit speaking through God's word and through your conscience and the circumstances convince you that this is what Jesus is calling you to do at this moment. The office of deacon is a very early office in the church. Paul's letter to the Philippians is written less than 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And that letter begins to the saints in Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Traditionally, the office of deacon is traced back to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's worth uh, reading that passage. Uh, Paul, as he, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Luke, as he's recording these events here, uh, tells us that in those days, 
when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And that word, wait on tables, there is literally a verbal form of the word deacon, to deacon. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And often the uh, deacon's job description is taken from here. It is in our book of church order. And it's said to be a ministry to the poor, to those who are in need. Now, I have no doubt that the Lord Jesus, who had tender compassion and mercy and care for those who were in need during his earthly ministry here, still has it and has provided that through his church. Certainly, care for those in need must be a part of the diaconal task. But if you carefully read what is said here, the text convinces me that it cannot be limited to that because the stated purpose of the establishment of the deacons, while the circumstance was to care for those who were in need, was so that those who were called to the ministry of prayer, the ministry of preaching and teaching the word, would be able to devote themselves to it without distraction. Any ordained ministry will be mysterious if we uh, focus our attention on the wrong things about it. And certainly there are tasks for deacons to do, tasks for elders to do, uh, tasks for pastors to do, but God's focus uh, in the passage that I've read today is more on what deacons should be rather than what they should do. And we'll move closer to solving the mystery of ordained ministry if, if you ask, what should I be? In 1 Timothy 3, when Paul tells Timothy to seek out uh, elders, overseers, and deacons, he doesn't give him a list of the things they are to do, their tasks or their jobs, but tells them uh, tells him what they are to be. And he begins, I'll have you note when he addresses this uh, issue of deacons, he says, deacons likewise. That means that what he said about uh, elders also applies to deacons. In fact, if you read the two uh, groups of things that he says here, there's a, a lot of uh, overlap. But I'll point out something here in the elders that uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't repeat, but I think it, it bears highlighting. Uh, and that is the word that it should be somebody who is hospitable. We, we tend to think of uh, hospitality as getting together with friends from church. I hear the word used that way a lot. But that actually fits into the category of fellowship. 
The word hospitable is the word philozenos, and it literally means a lover of strangers, a lover of people who are not of us or from among us or like us. People's natural inclination is to uh, like people who are like them and subtly or not so subtly disengage from people who are not like them. It's in fact exactly what happened in Acts chapter 6 with the Grecian Jews. Um, the church was there gathered in Jerusalem, in Judea, and just to give you a little bit of the, the history and setting there, that there had been a dispersion of the Jews uh, throughout the Mediterranean, and a lot of those Jews who were dispersed uh, ended up taking on the trappings of the Hellenistic culture in which they lived. The men shaved their beards. They wore uh, Greek clothes, Hellenistic clothes. They might not have been so careful about the dietary restrictions, but in Judea, those Jews were the real Jews. They dressed like Jews, they ate like Jews, they spoke Aramaic instead of Greek. And, um, and, and so as, uh, as, as the church there gathers with both uh, Hellenistic Jews and Judaic Jews, the Hellenistic widows are overlooked in the distribution of food. Why? Because they were other. They were different. Now, all of the things that are spoken of here are tasks that flow from traits. Speaks about being worthy of respect, sincere, not known as a guy who likes his drink, not avaricious, generous, not tight-fisted. Uh, knowing the deep truths of the faith, really, whole, uh, literally rather, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And perhaps surprisingly, we have in this list qualifications of the deacon's wife. So there's things here that speak to Elizabeth, too. Um, because the, much of what the deacon does is not proprietary. A lot of the elder's work is not delegable. But the, but the deacon's role is unique in that uh, it's things that others in the church can do, but God wants to make sure that they are done. And so they're people set apart to that ministry. But what that means is that the wives of deacons will be involved in, in all likelihood, uh, in their ministry to a higher degree than the wives of elders will be. That's why that focus, I think, is there. And all of these things that he speaks about here, if you go up and look at the, um, the, the characteristics of, uh, of, of an elder, um, above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, uh, manage his own household well, and then goes on to uh, speak about deacons saying much of the same thing, worthy of respect, sincere, uh, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, uh, holding the deep truths of the faith, with uh, a clear conscience, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that um, if, if you look at all of uh, these things, these are things that all Christians should strive for. But they must be sufficiently evidenced in those who serve as deacons. 
And in the judgment of your fellow deacons, in the judgment of the elders, in the judgment of the whole church, you do. And Elizabeth does. You could sum up all of these things that he calls elders and deacons to in their characteristics and their trait uh, under the heading of godliness. And that word is kind of mysterious, right? If, if somebody were to ask you out on the street, are you a godly person? You'd probably choke over that a little bit. Well, I, I hope so, or I endeavor to be. Or the, the word itself means pious or reverent. And it consists in living in a way in which God approves. Uh, consciously striving to reflect the image of God in which you were created and in which you're being recreated in Christ Jesus. So does that solve the mystery of ordained ministry? It hasn't for me. I think you'll be asking from time to time, so, so I'm a deacon, what does that mean? What should I do? And I want to tell you that the answer to that question at any given time will be dictated by the situation you face and the person you are. So the Bible focuses attention on what we're to be. And we could sum it up under this heading of godliness. And, and how do we become godly? Um, are, are there more things we should do or strive for or is there something more than that? I, I think, Craig, and let me just remind all of our ordained officers and really the whole congregation that, that you'll move towards solving the mystery by staying close to Jesus. When I was a, when, when I was a, a, a young man, I, I remember you know, looking at these things and I would enumerate them. And I'd look up the words and I'd say, you know, this is, this is what elders are to be and this is what deacons are to be and, and here's the list and here's the systematic definition uh, of it. And you know, the funny thing about lists is that when we uh, make lists of things, um, we, we have a tendency, I do when I make a to-do list, of doing the minimum that I have to do to tick that off my list. I don't think that's God's intention for us here. And, and when I was young, I, I, I never noticed that Paul is not sending this out in a systematic theology uh, as a list, but he's writing it in a letter. He's talking about characteristics, quality, uh, character traits. And then he says this, and, and it's not separate from what he said before. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What people? Well, elders and deacons. That's who he's been talking to them about. Craig, your tasks as a deacon... Will, will vary. There's not a book big enough to contain the things that you might be called upon to do. God is primarily calling you to be something, to be godly, which means to be conformed to Jesus. And Paul here reminds us that we don't become that 
by keeping a list of rules. If, if we could, then Saul of Tarsus, uh, the Apostle Paul, could have just stayed a Pharisee. If that was the way to gain righteousness, Paul said, then he's got a resume and a list and Christ died needlessly. And Paul reminds us here that we become godly not by keeping lists of things, although reviewing these things from time to time is not a bad idea. I'd commend it to you. But he goes on to say, we confessed it today. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. See, he introduces another mystery, a mystery of godliness. What does it mean to be godly? And you'd think that what he was going to do then was to, was to tell us the things that we should do or to be or to give us a list, but no, he doesn't do that. He says he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. In other words, what Paul does is he summarizes the gospel. And he says that's the mystery of godliness. That's where, godly, where godliness is to be found, that we don't become godly by making lists of rules and keeping them. If, if we could do that, I say again in Paul's words, that Christ died needlessly. We do it by the gospel. And the mystery of godliness is that we attain it, we attain godliness by Jesus and by what he has done. Godliness is found in Christ, and you grow in it by being close to him. So you'll ask yourself from time to time, I know you will because you're conscientious, I've known you for many, many years. So I'm a deacon, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and at times it will be mysterious, at times you'll say, I'm not, I don't really know, it doesn't seem clear. But the answer to that question will lie in knowing that you're a bondservant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus. The situation will dictate the need, and the right response will come through godliness of character. And that is developed not by a pedantic study of theology. I say it again. Uh, The Apostle Paul said, "If, if that could save me, it would have nor the legalistic keeping of lists. It's developed by walking day by day with Jesus, by staying close to Jesus, by being uh, open-hearted deliberately with Jesus. Throughout church history, there have been uh, times that we've seen horrific injustices and evils committed in God's name, in Christ's name. People will sometimes like to throw those up as an objection to the Christian faith. I'm never bothered when people do that. I'm not, I can't say that I'm happy to admit that those things are true, but, but I'm willing to admit that those things are true. But the problem was never with Christ. The problem was with Christians. It ought not to be, but sometimes it has been. What's the cause of that? 
I, I think the cause of that goes back to this, and I've reflected on this a lot in my own life and ministry as I've, as I've looked at this passage. It's something that I've discovered over, over three decades of ministry, uh, and I've often pondered it through these words. And, and so, Craig, if you take nothing else away today uh, from what I've told you, take this. It's dangerous for the servants of God to get far from Jesus. The further people get from Jesus, the more they'll try to use him for their purposes. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more he will be able to use you for his. And if you want to move towards solving the mystery of what you're supposed to be doing as a deacon... Stay close to Jesus.